So we've been looking over the last several months at the I am statements of Jesus, as Pete mentioned earlier, and then Grace and Patty helped us understand. And we've been looking at it because a lot of times we look at what Jesus does for us rather than looking at just who he is. And it's who he is that changes us. It's peering upon him. Uh, It's looking at him where we are changed, what Paul says, from one glory to the next, where we're being changed into his image. And that is our goal as we look at the scriptures here. We've seen that Jesus is the bread of life, and we've seen that he is the light of the world. That Jesus is the door, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the resurrection and the life. And last week we looked at that he was the way, the truth, and the life. This week, as we've already mentioned, we're looking at Jesus who said, I am the true vine. John 15 and verse 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. To which everybody said, amen. Oh me. Oh no. We say a lot of things at pruning. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, Jesus is once again drawing on very rich Jewish imagery. He, he has a knack for doing that. He, he is, he's drawing on it because over and over again in the Old Testament, the, the nation of Israel, the house of Israel, is portrayed as the vine or the vineyard of God. It is an image in which has been depicted numerous times throughout the history of the Old Testament. The vine was so symbolic in Israel that it was often used on ancient Jewish coins. For example, like on this one right here, where you can see a cluster of grapes and a vine. That is an actual coin that was found, a Jewish coin, probably from the Maccabean period. And one of the features of the second temple that was built after the Babylonian exile was a sculpture of a large vine with clusters of grapes. It was seen to be about the height of a man. It was made of pure gold and it uh, hung over the entrance of the temple. And, And so when Jesus uses this vine imagery, everybody's aware of what he's talking about. There's familiarity with the understanding of what it means to be a vine or a vineyard. We may not understand that so much, But they did. They understood it fully. So to this Jewish group of listeners, they understand that he's speaking something that God has been wanting to build for a long time. But here's the problem. If you look deeper at the Old Testament, you realize that when God calls them a vine or a vineyard, he also judges them because they didn't live up to it. He calls them out for it because they have trampled upon the very thing that he himself is building. Like in Isaiah 5 verse 1, or the second portion of verse 1, he said, My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and he planted it with choice vines and he built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it 
to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Verse three, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, the capital city of of Israel, and the men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. This is God speaking. Judge between me and that which I was building, a vineyard of Israel. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Now, those are not the muscadines that we find growing here on this property. Many of you go find the wild grapes, the muscadines that are growing here. This is not a good thing in God's estimation. Wild grapes is not just a fun, more lively group of grape. It's a bad thing. And God got even more specific and blunt when he spoke through his prophet Jeremiah saying in Jeremiah 2.21, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So now Jesus is here and he is declaring himself to be the true vine. And it's in direct contrast to all that Israel had devolved into. They had become a wild, degenerate, useless vine. It had the appearance of life. It had growth. But much like kudzu all over the southeast, it's destructive and not life-producing. They had lost their place as God's covenant people. They had turned from God and he had judged them. And now Jesus has become the true vine. He is the way for all people to come to God. There is no other way. We looked at that last week. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And instead, Israel has been sidelined. And now Jesus is becoming the vine in which disciples from all over the world would be grafted in to become the new Israel. Jesus spells out two really specific scenarios in these verses, right? Did you catch them? He he pointed out two things that could be our fate. He, He says that his father, who is the vine dresser, just think gardener, someone who cares for the vine, the vineyard. His father cares for this true vine. And first, if you are a branch, a person that's connected to the vine, and you produce fruit, then you're going to be pruned. And secondly, if you are a branch, a person connected to this vine that does not bear fruit, you will be cut off and destroyed. Now, I don't know about you, But I'd just as soon be the first and not the last. I'd just as soon go ahead and bear some fruit and have the pruning rather than being cut off and destroyed. Anybody else? Okay, there's a few. Good. I I don't know. If you're still trying to decide, it's up to you. But it makes me want to bear fruit. I want to be fruity. No, not that fruit. I want to bear fruit. And we understand that if we've been in scripture at all, if you've been around church, you get some of this. If you've not been around church, this may be kind of new to you. There is something called the fruit of the spirit. 
right? Anybody heard of that? Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 22, Paul said to this church, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And it's one of the most power-packed, poignant lists that you will ever find for how the Holy Spirit gets involved in a person's life and changes them. It's how the Holy Spirit comes in and processes us. He develops us. He, he trains. He sanctifies us. He pushes out into us the very life and effect that Jesus has. And that makes sense because... This is the kind of fruit Jesus is talking about when he's saying this to his disciples. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you produce fruit, this is what he's talking about. These nine things, not nine fruits, just an evidence of the fruit of God in these nine descriptions. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want to say that again. I want you to hear these. Think about them as I say them. And as you're thinking and listening to them, ask yourself, how much are these things evident in my life? All right? Here they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It makes sense that Jesus would talk about these things as being fruit, Paul would, and then Jesus understands it because it is embodied in Jesus. All of those things are what Jesus was like. Because when we're connected to that vine, we begin to exhibit the very qualities that Jesus has. The same qualities, the same essence, the same fragrance, the same DNA as Jesus should be what's becoming evident in our lives. If you plant a grapevine, don't expect to grow coconuts. You're going to get grapes. And when the Father plants a true vine, who is Jesus, you can expect to get more of Jesus. For it is Christ in you the hope of glory. Now, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't get stapled onto us. It's not like he picks up some fruit and, and, and staples it to our forehead. No, it gets worked into us. It's a process of growth and strengthening in him. It's produced in us. And for that to happen, we get the honor and privilege of being pruned. <laughs> Prune. Yay! We're all excited about that. Everybody that wants to get pruned, I brought my shears. Come on up here. We're going to get you taken care of right now. Ready? No, nobody wants a pruning. Nobody wants to be chopped at, nibbled away at, processed further. I've been reading about this process of pruning. I'm not a, a vine dresser. I've been to a few vineyards in Italy and here right up here north of us at Chateau Alon and I've been reading about some of it to try to prepare for this message and others. And I read about some Oregonian grape growers. 
And they had some really profound things to say. And this one uh, grape grower, Robin Murto, she said, pruning is the single most important job you can do in a vineyard. What eventually ends up in a bottle of wine starts right here. How amazing that they connect what you end up with in a, a final product, a bottle of wine, that it doesn't get there if you don't do it back here, the pruning. First, pruning is critical to making what the product needs to be. It's integral to the quality of grapes and to the quantity of grapes. She goes on to talk about types of pruning, and this was fascinating to me. She spelled out four different kinds of pruning that they do in vineyards. One is what they call pinching. And they simply take a finger and a thumb, and they just pinch the new growth. They just pinch it right there. It's kind of a vigorous shoot, and they pinch it in order to stunt it just a little bit because it's growing too quickly. Or if it grows that quickly, it might actually have further damage, be more susceptible to disease, have storms really affect it greatly. So they pinch. Secondly, she says they do what's called topping. They top it. They lop off about a foot or two of the, of the vigorous growth on the shoot. And they do this so that the stalk coming off of the vine strengthens. It grows more vital. It grows more hardy. It allows for more great strength to produce the grapes. And it's also to prevent loss down the road. So there's pinching, and there's topping, and there's thinning. Thinning, where they just take clusters of small grapes or flowers, and, and they cut them back. They thin it out so that the branch can bear even more fruit down the road and even better quality fruit. And finally, just good old hacking away, cutting away, pruning. And this is typically done pretty severely in the off season where they take saws and hatchets and other things and just go to town. And they don't just cut off dead stuff. They cut off stuff that's alive. In fact, upwards to 90% of that which Grew, grew last year gets cut off for the future. 90% of growth gets cut off. Ensuring a higher quality of grape, the more you prune, the more you'll harvest. And in case you think that you escape if you become an older vine, you've been around, you don't need any of that pruning stuff. I've heard that the older the vine, the more severe the pruning. To which all of the senior saints said, oh no, that means me. That means he's gonna cut and hack and saw at me. This was alive, why are you messing with this? Because I'm gonna make you more fruitful. I'm gonna do more in you than what was done before. Those that produce will get pruned. We don't like that, do we? Nobody likes to be pruned. When you're unloving and you're not kind and you're not very patient, nobody wants the, haul, the saw that hacks at us and, and cuts away stuff in order for us to be more loving and more patient and more kind and more in control 
and more good. We don't want the pruning, but we don't get the fruit without the pruning. Everyone who is in Christ is going to get pinched, topped, thinned, cut away. The vine dresser is coming after you, and he's got pruning shears in his hand. He's coming after you because he loves you, because he wants to make you productive so that the greater fruitfulness can be evident in our lives of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Look at how Jesus further elaborates. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in me, and I in you, he said. This is such a mysterious yet glorious theme of being grafted into Christ. Not simply to be his possession, but to be a part of him. Where we remain, abide, continue, commune, where we live in him. This idea is what theologians call union with Christ. And it's first described as a legal standing. And I think John Owen really spells it out well. He wrote this, Union with Christ is the cause of all other graces that we are made partakers of. They are all communicated unto us by virtue of our union with Christ. Hence, and now he goes into a full list of things that happen by God redeeming us. Hence is our adoption and our justification and our sanctification and our fruitfulness, our perseverance, our resurrection, our glory. But it's not just legal standing that we get by being united with Christ. It's also fellowship with Christ. That's the fun part. And that's why Jesus says that we're not only to abide in his words, but we're to abide in his love. I love how Brennan Manning puts this. He said words like union, fusion, and symbiosis hint at the ineffable oneness with Jesus that the Apostle Paul experienced. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Listen to what he says here. No human word is, evenly, is even remotely adequate to convey the mysterious and furious longing of Jesus for you and me to live in his smile and hang on his words. But union comes close, very close. That's what I want to do. I want to live in his smile. 
and hang on his words. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creator of heaven and earth. He is a relational God and he invites you and me into relationship with him. In fact, he is wooing us into this relationship where we can remain and abide and continue in him. Where we can always be connected and united and joined with him. It's intimate. It's inseparable. It's indivisible. It's enmeshed. It's involved. It's the ever-increasing union with him. Without this, we will wither up and die. Without this, as him is the vine and we as the branches, we can do nothing. Abide in me, Jesus said. Live in me. Stay close connected to me. And in so doing, we are fashioned into God's vineyard where the father who is the fine dresser, he takes care to tend to us even when it means pruning. Abide in me and the pinching and the topping and the thinning and the cutting way will turn into our good because we will be more fruitful bearing much fruit. Abide in me and I in you. And in so doing, we are living in his smile. We are hanging on his words. And what he says lifts us, moves us, inspires us. Lord, may you help us to abide more fully in you. Where we get everything we need from you. Help us to yield to your pruning shears, even when it hurts. Where you cut away that which is dead and even that which has been alive so that we can bear even more fruit. And help us, O oh God, to abide in your love. Amen. I'll ask the worship team to come up. We'll be closing in just a few moments. I'm going to have Donna share just a moment. So good. And now, dear children, continue in him. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him and his coming. For you know that his spirit teaches you about all things, always telling you the truth and never telling you a lie. So as he has taught you, Live continually in him. Yes, now little children, remember to live continually in him. So that if he were suddenly to reveal himself, we should still know exactly where we stand in the vine. And we should not have to shrink away from his presence. We can have the mind of Christ to focus only on God, to hear what he says and do it. We can have the heart of love, to love him, to love his people, and to love our enemies. And we can have his will to do only what we see the Father doing. That's our prayer, Father, that we would lean into you and abide in you that we would receive the careful pruning so that 
we could have the mind of Christ, receive the love of the Lord, and exercise your will in our lives, that we would be fruitful and that we would bring glory to your name. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray for everyone who's here today that is dead on the vine, that is not alive to Christ, that is fruitless, that may look like a, a, a plant that's alive and thriving, but inside there's no growth, there's no development, there's no discipleship, there's no Jesus. I pray, Lord, for anyone that's here in that capacity, may your Holy Spirit come and draw them, woo them into relationship with you. Graft them into the vine, Lord. Take the dead stubble of their life and graft it in to the vine, the true vine who is Jesus, allowing life and nourishment, allowing the Spirit of God to flow through you to them. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do in each of us a new thing a new growth, a new life. And we commit these things to you and respond to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.